0: keeping me company. Got my panel, historian and broadcaster David Starkey and the political consultant Emma Bernal. Good evening to both of you. And you know the drill on Jubes and Co, don't you? You can get in touch with me on uh, email, gbviews at gbnews.uk. You can tweet me at Michelle Jubes or at GB News. Why? Because this is not just our show, it's yours as well. And I want to know what is on your mind tonight. Are you as outraged as me about the price uh, of that McDonald's hamburger, 99p, that was always a thing, wasn't it? You got penny change. And was you like me, you always used to say, put it in the box. You can keep it, keep the change, put it in the box. And then you used to kind of walk up McDonald's like this, going, yes, I'm a good person, they've kept my change. Those days are gone now, though, aren't they? What are you going to do now? Because you can't just say, if it's £1.14, what are you going to do? Give them £1.50, £1.20, keep the change? You tell me, are you outraged by that? Or do you sit there and think, good? Uh, If McDonald's, etc., is getting more expensive, that is going to be good for the country. Tell me all your thoughts. I also tonight want to get into topics such as the strikes, uh, unions too powerful or not enough power. Should MPs be on the picket lines? I want to talk to you as well about everything that's going on in terms of energy. We see huge disruption uh, on food supply chains now. Do you think we'll ever see a return to rationing? I'm asking this because over in the EU, they're voluntarily reducing their energy usage by 15%. Anything to be worried about or not? And I want to get into as well, this court TV thing. Uh, Where do you stand on that? I personally think it's a bit weird and a bit unnecessary, but are you excited? And are you going to be glued to your TVs watching the goings on in the courtroom? All your thoughts on that. As I said, gbviews at gbnews.uk is the email address you can get me on tonight. Now uh, another day and yet more strikes, uh, luckily for you guys, me, my panel, we managed to make it into work but many people did not because around 40,000 real workers have been on strike as you've just been hearing in the bulleting, paid jobs, terms of employment, uh, it's the usual things that are causing it and only one in five train journeys were expected to go ahead. Uh, The disruption is going to continue, and yet another strike was called. uh, Not that long ago, actually. It was called for August the 13th. There's a few things I want to get into uh, on this. David Starkey, I'll start with you. I'm going to start with the basic question. Do you think that unions have too much power right now or too little?
1: In the public sector, which is what we're talking about, there are two completely different worlds of trade unionism private industry where Thatcher made the dramatic effect. Look, where are we in now? We're in a studio, we're doing TV. I'm so old, I remember this, when it was trade unionised. If you touched a cable, some great thug would come. you get off that. And you would film a tiny little scene and you'd have 12 people, wow. which is why we now have things like GB News, because that was broken. It's led to an enormous proliferation of television, of media, extraordinary development of British media depended on breaking trade union restrictive practices. Newspapers are the same. The the multiplication of outlets. The public sector was untouched by Thatcher. And this is the extraordinary thing. The rigidity of working practices in things like the old British rail, that's what it's really about. Um, And it's an unreformed industry. Its working practices are early 20th century. Many of them are actually governed by the days of steam. They've not changed. But well, of course, there's been a revolution uh, in genuine train. there's been a genuine transport revolution, but we're not really seeing the benefit of it. And until we actually match working practices with new technology, we're going to deal with the broken back structure that we've got at the moment.
0: Indeed, and one of the challenges with that, Emma, uh, when you're talking about revolutionising working practices, industries, etc., inevitably, that often means job cuts. And understandably, people get upset about that. Where do you stand on
2: these strikes? Are you in favour of them or not? I wish we hadn't got to the point where we've got strikes. Uh, I think the question, do the unions have too much power or too little power, is not really the, the right... Friend. The problem we have is that we have this incredibly confrontational relationship between government and unions. Um, I mean, I would just say to David's point that several people in the Labour Party would be quite surprised to know that we have a nationalised railway. Uh, it's quite a big spite in the Labour Party as to whether we should, should or not, and we would believe that we don't currently. I know that they, we did have to take uh, rail track back into national hands because it had failed so disastrously in the private sector but um, the rail companies yeah, so are, There's a hybrid, at, hybrid at the strikes. moment between network rail. But, but in yeah. terms of the unions, um, unions have to jump through enormous hurdles in order to call a strike. You know, They have to have very, very high um, turnout in a ballot and they aren't allowed to do those ballots in easy ways like online, the way that most of us would do things. So the fact that we've got to this point is a failure of so many steps along the way. And a lot of that failure comes from the government and the government's attempt to act like the fourth or fifth iteration of Buck's Fizz in a sort of 80s reunion tribute act, uh, but so much less quality than the original. It just, it makes the the government look stupid and the unions, and you've got people out there very comfortable making perfectly good arguments like Nick Lynch um, and Eddie Dempsey who know what they're talking about and are doing a really good job and are getting the public on side because the public can see how poorly they're being treated. And p- everyone is worried about the cost of living at the moment.
1: And that- Sorry, includes- so can, can we, the, uh, you've, you've actually, I had a note here too about an 80s revival. There's a terrible sense of 80s revival, but wasn't the initiative really taken? By Mick Lynch, isn't he? Isn't he channeling his inner Scargill? The business of now, come on! His actual words challenging the Secretary of State to single combat. The way no,
2: no I mean, so, it would be nice if the Secretary of State would turn up to the table once or twice. Right. Whether they should be arm wrestling, Sorry, or you've not. Been, I don't so know. Sorry, you've
1: been you've been pointing out that there are delegate, there are effectively quasi-nationalized industries now. They're also bankrupt. The entire rail network is bankrupt. And it's nothing to do, nothing to do with, with the actual mismanagement of the industry, though that's not been brilliant. It is post-COVID. We're in this extraordinary the, rail collapse because transport collapsed. People couldn't travel. People have not started traveling again in the same way. You can't
2: have the government step in when it's convenient and step back when it's not. That's not how this works. The people who the government represent include those 40,000 striking workers and they deserve better treatment from the government who could get involved and help sort this this out.
1: This is going back to the days of Barbara Castle. It's going back to the- We would be so
2: much better off if Barbara Castle had won the argument in the first place. Unfortunately, she got battered by the unions and then we ended up in this awful divisive state. If we'd actually implemented what Barbara Castle wanted, which was a much better tripartite system like they have, where we actually have proper discussions between government, industry and unions, where everybody acts like grown-ups rather than like mixed martial art fighters, then we'd be better off. And it's Grant Shapps leading, leading that action and leading that aggression. It's not Mick Lynch leading that. He'd love to sit round the table with Grant Shapps. He will not do it. Grant Shapps has refused to do it.
1: He's doing a performance.
2: As is Grant Shapps, he's just not very good at it. He's which leads Emily me, a of Thatcher. Which
0: leads me nicely, because uh, two things. One of the things that you said about, you know, there's such high-level thresholds in order to strike in the first place. I would dispute that. I actually don't think the thresholds are high enough. So just to remind people at home, if you're listening as to what those thresholds are, at least 50% of all members must vote in the ballot and at least 40% of the el- of those eligible should vote, yes, I don't think that's enough. Half your workforce turning out and 40% of the half saying, let's do that. But but don't don't that's an incredibly high, high turnout
2: in this kind of internal ballot. It, it, well, it used to be almost unheard of that you get a turnout like that. That they have got it to this level, it shows you how bad things have got if people. If people were really um, struggling
0: to the way that everyone's kind of saying, I'm not disputing that they are or they aren't, what I'm saying, if people are really unhappy
2: with their terms, conditions, pay, etc. Mustering more than half of your, but workforce. they have, haven't they? As I understand it, the actual turnout in some of these these votes, the actual uh, voting percentage to vote to go on strike is incredibly high. But I, I think we're smashing be ninety percentages. Yeah, I, I mean, would you modify to it to be over ninety-seven percent, which I believe some of these ballots have got to?
0: No, but what I would say is you can't have you can't have um, you know such wide-reaching consequences like this based on half an organisation and forty
2: percent again. To me, I would make... But we it. haven't. We've got... This is what I'm saying. These They've smashed through those barriers. Those barriers are so far behind them. They're a dot. They're a dot in the past.
0: Well, Liz Truss, by the way, she agrees with me. Uh, she wants to make
2: the thresholds higher.
0: I would go even further, though, than Liz. She wants 50% of those voting uh, to be in favour of strike action. I would say it needs to be 50% plus. 50% is too low for me, but where do you stand on it? The other point that we're getting into already is the politicisation of these strikes. So Mick Lynch, uh, he was speaking out earlier on. He was doing a a direct rally call, if you will, to Keir Starmer. Let's just listen to that.
1: People want a square deal from corporate Britain and they're not getting one. And uh, Keir Starmer needs to stand up and identify himself with our campaign and the other campaigns in the economy at the minute. I think he should do that and it will do him some good in the working-class communities that lost out in the last election and who who lent their votes to the Tories but can be won back for Labour.
0: Well, Sam Tarry, who is a Labour frontbencher, uh, David, was talking about Mm -hmm. it in the bulletin. He was on the picket lines this morning. Uh, He's found himself out of that job now, uh, essentially, some would say, as a consequence. Do you think that these strikes should be uh politicized should there be a political football in this way well
1: of course the far left which i think emma in some ways would appear to be making herself <laughs>
2: no but please the, please no, the, tell the, my twitter the, followers the, that they'd love it no the,
1: <laughs> w- w- the i'm soft what, left at know, best. Say, oh, shut up for a second the the only the only thing no the things yes. that, the things that you've been saying Go, belong in the kind of language of, of, of Mick Lynch. Um, it's very interesting, isn't it, that Keir Starmer uh, does not want this to happen. Uh, he does not want the politicization. He does not want the Labour Party doing a 1980s reenactment for very good reasons. He's trying to present it as a new reformed change. He's trying to distance himself from Corbynism. You're sounding very much, and again, I know nothing about you, and and I'm just judging you from what you've said, and you're sounding very much like a spokesman for absolutely standard Corbynism. Um, I think the other thing that we haven't addressed, um, do you really think that employees should determine their conditions of work when they stand in the way of technological change? I mean, how do you think that should be handled? I mean, are you not just talking? You know, it was terribly sad when we actually replaced handloom weavers. It was terribly sad when industrialization came. There was huge protests. People objected. Of course they did. But everybody benefits from the change eventually. And it is this, you know, it's this stony, boneheaded resistance.
0: Stony, boneheaded. Right, come on, my far left. You don't need to shut up. This is a
2: debate programme. You're allowed, your view, So go on. I mean, it is a debate programme. It would be weird if I didn't say anything or put the opposite position. Um, should her employees have some rights? Yeah, probably. I think it's probably quite a good thing that we have a say in our terms and conditions. Um, that we don't go back to uh, pre-industrial revolution. Uh, you know, w- I like things like weekends. I like things like uh, not having to, uh, having no rights not to climb really ridiculous and put myself into ridiculously unsafe conditions. I quite like, uh, you know, the fact that we have a minimum wage. I think most I people do. do. I do too. So I phone. think, yes, yes, it is quite important. And may I ask you, sir, please to let me speak now. Mm. Um, that's the polite way of doing that, by the way, um, there are, of course, negotiations to be had between a workforce and an employer. And you know the best way to do that is by having, instead of this kind of confrontational 1980s Tribute Act nonsense coming from the government and the employers as much and as... The union. Uh, and pushing the trade unions. And they pushing the workers into oh, behaving so in equal a way... So reluctant. I don't think they're that reluctant. I think, But I think, I genuinely believe, that we would be better off if we had trade unions who are more empowered to better negotiate and governments better willing to do it. Now, if both sides came to the table with that attitude, rather than simply trying to pontificate and stand up and look like tough guys, which, I mean, I'm sorry, Grant Shapps, you ain't never going to look like a tough guy, if we would be better off. We would be better off if we stopped saying this is all about fighting each other and started going back to what we used to do, which was negotiate.
1: And didn't it, wasn't it wonderful? Do you remember the days of the Labour governments? Do you remember those days of ACAS and intervention? Do you remember what happened to wage levels? Do you remember what happened to inflation? Do you remember what What, happened? you mean during the play years? The do, ones do I do remember, remember. yes, do remember? I do remember. We do didn't remember? have, it, we're at a 40-year high of inflation. Was, we had a Labour government Bar- 12 years why ago. Why was Barbara Castle so determined to do what she wanted to do? Because it was destroying the Labour government. Why is Keir Starmer so hesitant about getting involved? Precisely because he does not want to repeat that. British, at the moment, Pseudo-British Rail is roughly in the same position as British Leyland in the 1970s. And the lines you're taking, the line that Mick Lynch is going to take, is going to do exactly the same thing. Look what- What, asking to to negotiate? look, Look what, no. Precisely, beer and sandwiches in number ten. Le- I don't care what they
2: eat, as long as they negotiate. Sorry,
1: these little smart replies get rather tedious. I'm trying to get you to understand, because I, I know you're trying I to get me to agree with I you. Understand. I don't not
2: understand, David. I disagree. There's a difference.
1: I'm a son of a trade unionist. I'm a son of a man who was a passionate Labour Party supporter. I'm. I have been involved in in my early days within the trade union uh, of university teachers, all of that. What I'm trying to say is that the attitudes you are embodying led to the catastrophe of the 1970s and produced... Please tell that, me and what produced, the attitude of liking produced, negotiation and is And doing. produced Thatcher. I'm sorry, that the idea that the government negotiates directly with trade unions led to the inflationary... was one of the elements, it wasn't the only one, but it was a central element of the inflationary spiral of the 70s that led directly to Margaret They're not Thatcher. doing it
2: now, we have 40-year inflation. I'm saying maybe things have changed.
0: Well, uh, i tell you, one of the things that uh, Grant Shapps is not doing there is not listening to Emma, because Emma, if you had your way, he would be around the table. He's absolutely. saying absolutely not. Where do you stand on the point of whether or not government should be directly negotiating with these unions? You guys, I can tell you, you are really getting uh, hot under the collar under this one. Someone said it is a worker's right absolutely to withdraw their labour. No ifs and no buts. Let me ask you this then, if you think it's a worker's right uh, to withdraw your labour, do you think it's a company's right then to get rid of you? If you don't want to work, if you don't like your T's and C's, go get another job. There's that school of thought, isn't there? Tell me where you stand on that one. Uh, Mark says, all of these striking members should be thoroughly ashamed of themselves. I work in a nursing home where the majority of staff earn the national minimum wage. If we uh, were to go on strike, people would die. Uh, the pushback you get to that one, though, Mark, is, you know, surely everyone should want to collectively rise their wages. Uh, tell me what you would say to that pushback. Uh, Dave, Daniel Sorry, says that there's no way any employer of even public or private sector can agree to no compulsory redundancies. I think, you know, I heard the head of uh, National Rail today saying that he did agree to that, something that I found very peculiar, because I have to say, I do agree with you there, that it's very difficult for any organisation that wants to be agile, that wants to evolve, pioneer, stay cost-effective, not to have to transform. And with transformation, unfortunately, does come redundancies. Anyway, keep your thoughts coming on that topic. Uh, Are you in favour of the strikes uh, or not? Do you... Have solidarity with the workers or not? <music> Hello there. Welcome back to Jubes & Co. with me, Michelle Dubry, keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight. My panel, we've got historian and broadcaster David Starkey and the political consultant Emma Bernell. Um, we were just talking about the strikes then. Mixed reaction from you guys at home as to whether or not uh, you support the strikers or not. Uh, Would there be a line, by the way, if you do support the strikers? Is there a point where you say, actually, no, this is uh, creating disruption a step too far? Or do you support the strikers come what may? Let me know your thoughts on all of that. Um, Brian is a bit harsh. He just says, simply, if people don't like the jobs or the pay or anything else, quite frankly, get up and go and do something else. That's what Brian has to say. You tell me your thoughts. GBviews at GBnews.uk is the email address. Now... Uh, Something I want to have a little look, a little delve into, if we may, because I am slightly worried at the moment. We all talk about things like gas prices going higher and higher and higher. Uh, Over in the EU now, basically, uh, a collection of countries there have agreed to reduce their usage voluntarily uh, by 15% because of some of the goings-on, with Nord Stream 1, of course, connected to the conflict, uh, Russia, Ukraine... So you've got all of that kind of stuff going on, on the one hand, with energy. On the flip side, you've got food. Uh, You've got farming protests at the moment taking place across Europe in response to a variety of different things. And it's starting to get me a little bit worried um, because I don't think we've seen the half of it yet when it comes to price increases. I don't think we've seen the half of it yet when it comes to disruption, whether that's in food production um, or distribution or whatever. And it's got me worried, uh, I'll start with you on this one, David, because I do think things are going to get a whole lot worse and I do think there's going to have to be some form of response to it. The war in Ukraine is not ending anytime time soon. No. Uh, policies at the moment in response to the war in Ukraine seems to be supply aid and weaponry prolonging the situation, so it's not going to end anytime soon. Do you think we ever would need to see a return to things like rationing?
1: Heaven, I mean, heaven for fen. In the circumstances of war, the total war of the Second World War, it was necessary. If you remember, going back to the beginning of the COVID crisis, there were clamors from part of the left when there were sort of little problems with supermarket supermarket shelves and specific uh, products not being available. There was a clamor for food rationing. Now, generally speaking, when the state does things, it's catastrophic. And what happened? Well, the supermarkets, within two or three weeks, Corrected themselves and everything worked astonishingly well. Whereas, of course, the NHS, state-managed, became simply a national COVID service, and with the catastrophic consequences that we're seeing now. Um, can we just step back? I'm supposed to be a sort of historian. And I've also got a long memory. I was born in 45. I've been looking at my mother's account books. And one of the things that strikes you is how. Enormously, we've benefited over the last 60, 70 years from falling prices in virtually every area. If I look at my one of my first memories was being given a second-hand tricycle in 1947. Second-hand, that cost more than my father's weekly wage. Right. It cost £6, and he was paid £5. Now, what's happened is, of course, in area after... Chicken, I remember until the 1960s, chicken was a staggering luxury. I can still recall the accounts of the wedding breakfast of Jackie Onassis, uh, sorry, of of Jackie Kennedy and Onassis. And they were fed what then seemed the most infinite luxury. Now it sounds bloody disgusting. Chicken stuffed with peaches. It was a rarity. All of these things have become commonplace because of the agricultural revolution, because of globalization and in terms of manufactured goods, because of China. We've been living through this golden epoch, and I'm afraid golden epo- epochs suddenly come to juddering halts. Mm. And Again, this is the terrible thing about all our politics. We get retro-80s from there. We get from the Tories uh, another version of the 80s in which we have the two contenders for the leadership of the party, each doing a Thatcher Tra- the Tribute Act. We're in new times. There are new demands. There are new challenges. There's no sign of new thinking.
0: New thinking. Um, what do you think? Uh, I'll bring rationing back into this. Do you reckon that we ever will get to the point where things are getting so broken? Because this Russia situation, as I was saying, it is not going away anytime soon. Um, I just worry, Emma, so I do.
2: Um, I mean, I, I agree with parts of what David said. He'll be shocked and probably quite distressed to hear. <laughs> um, I think new thinking is absolutely what's required and, and what's missing. Do I think we're going to go for rationing? No, I really don't. I think that we've just come through an extraordinary period of state intervention into our individual lives. We have differed over the times that I've been on this show occasionally about to what extent that should or should not have happened, but that's where we were and that's where we are. And I do not think that there is a political appetite or available space to go into that again with rationing. We may find ourselves in a situation where we wish there were something like that because so many of those things that have become daily staples like chicken, um, like bread, um, I was with a family, um, a friend who's family, um, and one of them brought the shopping in today and she had one of those big gallon um, things of oil and it doubled in price, literally doubled um, in since she last bought one. Um, and we can't go on like that. So something has to be done. The problem with the phrase, and I've I've said this often, I've written this often, the problem with the phrase something has to be done is that quite often we leap for either a thing that we already know, i.e. rationing, or something completely mad that um, we is untested. And sometimes those mad untested things are great and they work really well, sometimes they really don't. And something has to be done doesn't mean do anything. And so I, I, I agree with David that we do need to have some um, really important new thinking. Also, I think we need to have a question of some of our priorities. Um, I have long um, had a problem with the more middle-class environmentalists that I know going on about the problems of GM food when actually GM food is feeding... God, this agreement is getting world world. really dangerous. It's really worrying, it's getting, isn't it? Completely, <laughs> it's, completely, it's,
1: completely, it's completely... You're going to say quickly what I'm going to say is I think very soon we're going to start burning coal again. This is... Exa- remember. See, I'm not going to go that far. No, but remember, we sit on, we sit on carbon. That's why there was an industrial revolution. And again, being being a historian, the reason that all of these wonderful things have happened to us is industrialisation. I'm not going to go
2: a, back to coal because I am a very staunch um, believe, advocate for climate change action. But what I will tell you is that I've done but a good on nuclear energy. Then you see, it may um, be a because, choice. For that very reason.
1: But that nuclear energy is very slow to get going. But to, build the problem. A, to, to build a nuclear power station takes, I think it's 20 years mm-hmm. for the for the current one we're talking about. And, now, and if, that's
2: if it's built on time.
1: <laughs> if it's built on, which is most unlikely yeah. to be built by the state. And indeed, with the intervention of the French, so we know what's going to happen. Um, but the 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 other thing is, you see, again, now we're talking nicely to each other. People like best no, friends. No, no, people, <laughs> the, no, there may be... Th- There may be terrible choices. If we want environmentalism, we're going to have to contemplate reduced living standards. Now, do people care enough about the planet? Do they think that Thunberg is right? Do they think that dear old, saintly, doddery David Attenborough is right? Are they prepared to sacrifice? Are they prepared to sacrifice their summer holidays abroad? Are they prepared to sacrifice the staggering range of food that they have? Are they prepared to sacrifice the fact that they can swan around in winter in a pair of, you know, in a T-shirt. Now, with, th- these were things which, when I was a boy, were completely inconceivable. It, I think, is likely we will have to learn to
0: choose. Well, you tell me. David's asking a question. Do you think that people would be prepared to sacrifice? I'll ask you. Would you be prepared to make sacrifices in your life, and to what extent? Uh, I do agree with David. When you see uh, the way we live now, it would have been unfathomable years ago to sit in your shorts, in your t-shirt, with your heating glaring out. It's cheap and... fuel.
1: It's yes. availability of cheap fuel that's enabled this.
2: And unfortunately, a lot of that cheap fuel comes from places that we where we now find we don't want to be in hock to, and that is a big problem that we do. Again,
1: but it is this, this, this solutions We're sitting on it. We've deliberately decided not to exploit our own resources. There's fracking. Again, fracking is fundamentally harmless. I and mean, It's a standard middle class freak. How do you? I don't want fr- you know, fracking in my nice pretty field. We may have, we will have to contemplate this. The, the North Sea, w- there's still huge amounts left in the North Sea we've just decided, no, we won't. And do you know what we do? We simply export all our nasty energy needs to China and India. And the hypocrisy of this, we can wash our hands, we can pretend we're very clean, we can point out we only contribute 1% of global emissions or whatever it is, but in fact, all those nice things that we wear, all those nice things that we use are made, generally speaking, with dirty energy.
2: There are, I mean, I absolutely agree with the um, the area of things like fast fashion. Uh, I mean, I'm probably wearing something on that now. I'm, I'm not claiming I'm not a hypocrite on some of this stuff. Oh, oh just, dear, we're, we're just, back in the
1: war of earrings, are I was we? just <laughs> about <laughs> to
2: say, there's a
0: vast amount of hypocrisy, um, especially from a lot of younger people that are right onto the whole climate thing, while simultaneously buying, their £1 T-shirts from places like Primark or whatever it is. And throwing them away. Well, we saw today, I think it was, they're on beaches, is it in Ghana? I want to say Ghana, I think it was Ghana. You're seeing all the footage now of all this rubbish fast fashion stuff, flooding uh, beaches and the like. Uh, You guys have been getting in touch. Uh, Someone says it's very unlikely we would get uh, anywhere close to anything like rations because all of the stock in all of the places would have been looted Well, before we get to that point, uh, okay. Uh, someone Ant... (laughs) He must
1: live in Brixton. Well,
0: Ant says, Michelle, a limited war in the east of Ukraine cannot be allowed to disrupt the rest of Europe. Uh, All governments must must secure food, energy and water, etc., I think that's a great sentiment, Ant. I don't think it's reflective, though, of reality. This war is absolutely uh, spilling out. But can we just have the facts? A limited war.
1: Give give her the facts. The problem is that Russia and the Ukraine, between them, produce a third of the world's traded grain. Mm -hmm. One third. And if you knock the third of a market out, the the supply of a market, you get these gigantic shifts. Of course you do.
0: Yeah, and I do, I have to say. Um, you might think I'm being a bit doom and gloom and negative, but I do worry this war is not ending anytime soon, nor are the sanctions, nor is Russia's control over things like Nord Stream 1, let alone uh, the supposed Nord Stream 2. Um, you tell me, is it something that you worry about or not? Ray says, the environmental lobby has ruined this country with green policies, et cetera, et cetera. That is where the focus should be. Steve says, I, for one fear that come winter, Putin is going to switch off the gas taps completely. And what will happen then? This is the point that I'm making, Steve. Will we see a return to things like rationing? Should we? I hope not. Hello there, I'm Michelle Dubry. This is and Co. If you've just joined me, uh, keeping me company tonight we've got historian and broadcaster david starkey and the political consultant emma bear now we've been discussing the strikes uh, are you in favor of them or not and are they being overly politicized we've been talking about all of the goings-on when it comes to supply chain uh, frustrations, etc. Would we ever see a return to rationings? And coming up in just a second, I'll be talking about court TV. Uh, that's going to be a new thing as of tomorrow. What's your views on that? Right, this afternoon it was announced that TV cameras would be allowed into criminal courts for the first time in our history. I've got to say that at the moment, coverage would be limited. All that will be shown is the judge handing down a sentence and explaining their reasoning with no view of the defendant, lawyers, or jurors. The first televised sentencing will be at the Old Bailey tomorrow. And you can watch it live here, GB News, at 10 a.m. I'm going to pick up with you on this one, Emma. Where do you stand on Court
2: TV? Are you in favour of it or not? It's such an interesting question. And I'm not sure I can go, uh, as I know that I'm supposed to. This is exactly what should happen, and this is exactly what shouldn't happen. Um, I am generally in favour of transparency, of opening things up. in the way that they're doing this, it does seem to be quite interesting to me because what they're doing is what essentially the judge's summation. So the expert who sat there through the whole thing, sifted through all the evidence, has or has been there while that was you know overseeing that process, then saying this is what's happened and this is why you're being sentenced to this um, that the jury has decided you should have. That seems to me like something that would illuminate um, public discussion of each individual court case, and then maybe add to our discussion over how the justice process happens. But in my brain, I'm seeing grannies with knittings at the (laughs) the guillotine (laughs) and I worry that um, in the longer term, if we go into this more, what we're going to get is the kind of sensationalism we saw around things like the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial... Um, you know uh, the OJ trial and that kind of sense of the public taking a side in what has to be a process where it's not about taking sides it's about assessing the evidence and making a decision based on it on a really complex rational in-depth basis that none of us are doing through a five minute um, bulletin on a telly show. David where do you stand on that? Pretty.
1: Oh, I hate to say it, pretty, much, pretty, pretty, <laughs> much,
0: pretty, friends. pretty,
1: pretty much. <laughs> sorry, we should we should have really discovered whether we disagreed on that. one. Uh, I I feel very very similarly. I mean, again, I think transparency is a very good thing. I think it's particularly important that the, and and this is the point that's been, been highlighted by the, by the justice secretary that there's a huge public dispute uh, about le- levels of sentencing. Are they adequate or not? Uh, and. If, if it's done properly, this will help to explain why. The trouble is I think it's going to change the nature of the judge's summing up. I mean, it's going to become much more explicative. In other words, the judge will inevitably, and he will stop addressing the court, and he will start addressing the, he, she, I'm terribly sorry, she in this case, um, will start addressing the camera. It's mm. inevitable. Mm. It always happens. It is impossible not to do it. You look again how Parliament has changed. One of the reasons for the extraordinary rowdiness of Parliament, also the inability of so many people to make an extemporary contribution, is because they know it's filmed. Mm. Uh, And the whole business of doughnutting and everything else. Television changes things. Um, we all know that there are two utterly impossible words. There are an oxymoron, which is reality TV. You put reality and television and reality is changed. However, however much people say it's going to be limited just to the judge, it will change justice. It will justice. evolve, yeah, it I agree. It will change justice. And I, again, because we've changed so many things that we actually have done traditionally rather well. And generally speaking, I think our court system has been admirable. English common law is admirable. It has a deservedly wide reputation. It's the only system of law that stands comparison with Roman law and I think it's very much better. This will alter the balance. It is inevitable. You know, television is an asset, it dissolves. It, dissolves. It, doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't just reflect, it changes.
0: Uh, Well, let me know your thoughts on that. Uh, Let's also take a listen, shall we, to what the Lord Chief Justice, Ian Burnett, had to say earlier on on this.
1: The necessary changes to the law were introduced in 2020. And we all hoped that we would start filming sentencing remarks in high-profile criminal cases in the summer of 2020. And were it not for Covid, that would have happened. But now it is happening. And I think it's an exciting development because it will help the public to understand how and why criminals get the sentences that they do in these very high-profile cases. But see, that's should, the law shouldn't be... Ex- you heard his word. This is an exciting development. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Chief Justice, I don't want exciting developments. We've had an exciting Prime Minister. There's a reason <laughs> for that kind of thing, but not injustice, please. Well, to
0: give this all its correct uh, title, open justice is what people demand. They would say that this is democracy in action, but I think there's a very fine line to tread uh, between
1: drama... And democracy but do we now start if we've got democracy and justice shouldn't we go the whole american hog and start electing our judges well this is can you this will become a popularity competition yeah. and and that's the thing uh, i
2: i think you know, there are reforms that i would like to see to sentencing uh, and to different, and i think that it makes it harder if you have a judge and it, there's inevitably going to be at least one judge who wants to be a bit of a star, who wants to go on, oh, retire and go on Strictly, right? Lawyers
1: are stars in their own way.
2: Um, and, yeah, you know, and I just really worry that that sense of projecting beyond the mm. law, beyond the law court, beyond the
1: courtroom... Judge, Dredd. judge <laughs> Dredd.
2: But this is, I mean... See, I've got it.
0: I was a little bit like you when I first heard of this. I was a little bit what? Because normally my opinions form quite quickly on something. I'm either in this camp or that camp. And on this, I was a little bit in two minds because I do understand uh, the arguments mm. for it, but I do also worry that, um, like Louise has said, emailed in. and said, I think TV cameras in court is a great idea. I love watching court TV and the American trials. She says I was glued to Depp v. Head. I watched the whole whole thing. But uh, see, this is the thing. This is not
1: um, This is real. TV. This is yeah. somebody's freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, Misha, I can freedom. tell you... It's not, a, it's not a performance. It's not a soap opera. You. And the trouble is, you know, the, we're then going... The risk is now there'll be a demand... Of course there will. You always... Sorry.
0: Uh, I is, thought you was going to say there'll be a demand for this. I was going to say, and there's then
1: there's you went on. The, in Egypt, there has been a case now where the judges have actually requested that the hanging be made publicly done publicly so that the enormity of the crime can be registered and people can be deterred from it. Now, that's as good an argument, I'm afraid, as the business... Of and this is the thing, we
2: like stories. You always bill it me is. on here as a political consultant, which is one of the things that I do, but I'm also a writer, I'm a playwright. Um, we communicate to each other through stories mm-hmm. and I worry... That we are going to become, the courts are not supposed to be theatres. They're actually, when working well, uh, as David said, very boring. Because they're about process and getting it right and grinding through the detail and really making sure that everything works. And even you know, when you watch a court drama, like, um, I was about to say *L.A. Law*, which really dates me because I don't think that's been on since about 1992. But you know, when you watch something <laughs> we're like <dating> that, <laughs> <laughs> when you you're, what you're getting is the highlights. But what we're going to ex- start expecting from this court TV is those highlights, and that again, it doesn't do justice to what justice is.
0: Well, Raquel's been in touch saying, I am wholly against this. This is another Americanism that we are importing. It will Hollywood and sensationalize something that really ought to have far more gravitas and should not be entertained. That is a sentiment uh, that I think I share as well. This whole kind of desire to follow uh, America into a variety of different things. This just being the latest example, I don't always think it's a good idea. More often than not, it's a pretty poor idea. David says the House of Commons and PMQs certainly changed with live TV. That it did, David, and this is uh, David's point as well. That what happens is instead of just doing your job, people then start playing to the cameras. Uh, Which we, sometimes. of course,
1: never do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we are totally innocent of any any of these. Things, come well, on, let's, I'll tell let's, you, all, let's all acknowledge.
0: I'll, I'll tell you, my favourite thing uh, about the show tonight uh, has been the blossoming friendship <laughs> that I've witnessed in, in front of my own eyes between David and Emma you started my show by telling Emma to shut up, so you did. Well, you we, wasn't we close should, enough for me to, to give with a slap.
1: She was doing a lefty rant and I was doing a righty rant. <laughs> I was accordingly. I was going to
0: give him a slap for you, but he's not close enough to achieve. <laughs> it, <but> that's how <laughs> oh, it This is why you're between let us, let us let let Michelle. Let Look at him. Yeah, do you know, I don't know. You seem to almost enjoy the concept—the concept of me slapping you a bit too much
2: there. Don't you? I a, uh, uh, you're the, a, wrong gen, no, the, you're shed, the wrong We're before the
0: watershed, Michelle. Oh, it's a good time to say goodbye isn't it let's cut it there it's tea time after all uh, Emma David thank you for your company thank you for yours uh, at home I can't wait now to see what goes on between these two next well, good night I'll see you
2: tomorrow
0: thanks for listening to Jubes and Kerr the podcast don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode and if you've enjoyed it leave us a nice comment I'll see you next time